Welcome to Legome. Today on the podcast, we have a Monday mini-sode with Dr. Harold Koenig. Dr. Koenig is a psychiatrist that focuses his research on the connection between religion, spirituality, and health. He has authored many books, including Is Religion Good for You? The Effects of Religion on Physical and Mental Health, and Handbook of Religion and Mental Health. But before we jump in, let's thank our sponsors. Hoosier Chiropractic, striving to build a healthier community by treating musculoskeletal conditions and educating the public on many health topics. Call or text 260-225-9444 to schedule an appointment. Wabash CrossFit. Every age, fitness level, and commitment level is welcome. Group classes promote a sense of community that will keep you coming back. Stop in and try a class for free. And finally, Center Court Barbershop. Located on Canal Street in historic Wabash, Indiana, Center Court is a classic barbershop that has built a community and following based on the joy that Kyle and Jeff bring to their jobs. Center Court offers haircuts, beard trims, and neck shaves. Walk in and take a seat. Now let's get into it with Dr. Koenig. And a reminder, if you haven't subscribed or written a review, really appreciate it. Thanks. Just curious, would you mind talking about your research at Duke, what you're doing right now? Well, we're... Um we're studying the relationship between religious involvement and moral injury in uh, active duty military and veterans with PTSD. So we're looking at these relationships and doing a randomized clinical trial in, in Los Angeles to see whether spiritually integrated uh, forms of interventions are effective in treating moral injury in these populations. So that's, that's what we're doing now. And all of your research is surrounding health and religion and the effects they have on each other, correct? That is correct. That's correct. So one of my first questions I had for you was, how do you define religion then? Religious uh, involvement is, uh, is defined in terms of religious beliefs, religious practices, levels of religious commitment. And where we're talking about, you know, traditional kinds, attending religious services, praying, reading religious scriptures, um, engaging in religious, other religious activities, and, and levels of cognitive um, intrinsic religiosity. Uh, the degree to which a person's religion is is directive of their their decisions in life central to their to their <laughs> decisions in life now does your research does it indicate any one religion necessarily leading to a happier life or a healthier life well 80 to 85 percent of the research has been done in christian population so we're pretty darn sure that Christian religious beliefs is are related to health. Um, there are very similar relationships in Islam, as well as in uh, Judaism. Uh, the relationships in Islam are at least, if not more, strong than in 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 Christianity. Um, there is there is less information on the role that that Eastern religious beliefs and practices. Uh, play in health, but from what we what we know, they they do also appear to to be uh, associated with with better health generally. I've heard you mention in other interviews the value then of 
transcendence. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Say that one more time. The value of transcendence in the religious beliefs. Well, by transcendence, I mean relationship with God, and I think that is central, and in fact, I think that's really where everything starts. Um, because relationship with God, you can also call it attachment to God, that generates um, a love of God, faith, trust in God, that, that, that all of that is nurtured within a religious community, and that results in religious beliefs and practices and coping behaviors, which then um, affect a person's mental health and consequently their physical health, their mental, their mental health, their social health, their behavioral health, all of which then influences physical health over the long term. And what is your response to people when they, let's say they mention the, the wars that arise from religion, the, the negative sides of it, I guess, how do you, how do you weigh those pros and cons of religion then? Yeah, so um, the, the, the religious wars have very little to do with religion. <laughs> In the end, religious wars have to do with people who want to control others uh, by using religious beliefs or with the intention of dominating and, you know, and, and controlling them. So that's what religious wars are the result of. It, it would be difficult based on simply the teachings, the basic teachings of most religions uh, to justify war. <laughs> Even within Islam, where it comes the closest, yeah. uh, you know, it's, you're, you're not supposed to fight against people who are not fighting you. Uh, you know, there, there, there's nowhere in, the, nowhere in the Quran that says that, that you should force yourself and your religious beliefs on other people. Absolutely. Do you feel like anyone's using your research to put down other religions? You know, I don't know. I haven't seen that. Within the academic community, I, I haven't seen much putting down of other religions at all. Um, most of my colleagues are, are really looking at this more generally. Now, again, most of the research is coming out of the West, which means it's going to be Christian participants. So, you, you know, it's hard to generalize that to other belief systems. But, um, you know, I, I don't know of anyone who's, who's doing that other than those who are not academic researchers. Right. Um, what would you say to someone who, let's say, they don't have strong religious beliefs, but you're presenting to them that someone that does will have a longer life, a healthier life? How could they get involved with religion then? Well, you know, I would say, I would encourage them, if they're, if they're set on not becoming religious, um, I would encourage them to try to do what people who are religious are doing which is generally, you know, being kind to others, loving your neighbor, uh, being altruistic, uh, getting involved in social activities, um, having a very positive view of, of life. You know, I would encourage them to do that. <laughs> it's pretty hard to do that, though, if we're outside of a religious belief system. You know, to, 
to motivate you to love others, love your neighbor, love your enemy, uh, you know, not drink, smoke, uh, treat everybody fairly, forgive others. <laughs> That's pretty hard to do. But would you say that those people that are doing it without religion, they might have something even stronger than that? Like if they're not, if they're not concerned about hell, isn't that something to take pride in as well? Well, I would say that if they're doing all those things I just mentioned, then their health will be better than mm. if they weren't doing them. However, I can't say that their health would be as good as those who are religious in doing them. I can't say that because the research really doesn't show that. If anything, it shows that those who are engaged in religious activities have better health than those who are simply involved in social kinds of activities outside of religious. And something that you've I've heard you mention before is also the, the resiliency, and where do you think that comes into play with religion? Well, I think people who are more religious are going to cope better when they face stressful circumstances, which would be an indication of resiliency, you know, being resilient in the face of uh, loss, trauma, uh, those kinds of things. And, and that does seem to be the case that people who are more religious do seem to handle um, traumatic experiences better. Yeah, I, um, I saw you had a quote that you can't prescribe hope. And I thought that was really interesting, just how that, how that fits in with healthcare is It is an issue when the person's mental health isn't there. A lot of times they won't progress then. Well, that's, that's true. You know, hope is very important. Hope, and, and in fact, it's, it's key for motivation to having to being optimistic, to being hopeful, um, you know, to have a reason for living, meaning and purpose in life. And religion gives you all of those things. Is, is there anything else that you have coming through with, with research that you're finding that applies to this as well? Well, what I'm excited about is that large research studies coming out of uh, you know, places like the Harvard School of Public Health um, are finding exactly the same findings that we've been talking about. Greater longevity, less depression, um, you know, better functioning in, in, for young people who are more religious. Uh, you know, this is, this is coming out now from, you know, some of the top schools of public health in the world. So to me, that's exciting to hear that, 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 you know, that this research I've been doing for the last 40 years is, is getting some reaffirming, uh, you know, findings from other investigators who are, new, who are not connected, you know, with, with, with all this previous research. What's the biggest pushback that you're getting? Well, I'm not really getting much pushback, <laughs> I mean, especially with the findings being confirmed by large, large, uh, you know, longitudinal prospective studies that are coming out of major institutions. I'm not really getting that much. There was a lot of criticism earlier that the studies weren't analyzed appropriately or they weren't large enough or they didn't control for things. But, you know, researchers with PhDs in mathematics and biostatistics from the Harvard School of Public Health are reporting the same findings. So I haven't heard much much pushback. Now, basically, what I see is is that um, most 
clinicians just ignore all of this research. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you because you're still in practice, correct? Yes, yes. I still see patients. So how do you apply it to your practice? So a lot of times I'll take a spiritual history and learn a little bit about the background, religious background of, of people who come in to see me. I want to know whether they have coping resources, and if they do, if they are religious, you know, I'll support that. I would all encourage them to engage in their practices and, uh, you know, even refer them sometimes to, to uh, religious counselors who can, can, who can help them cope with things. So I'll do that, but, I, but I'll only do that in those who are, who are religious. Those who are not religious, I'll just prescribe medication or refer them to secular therapy. So you're not out there, you're not claiming to be saving anyone or anything like that. You know, you're not converting anyone that's not interested. Exactly. Exactly. That really has no place within medical settings where with a doctor, you know, has a lot more power than the patient. That's, that's not a good idea. You know, patients want to please their physician. And if they did convert, it probably wouldn't last anyway. <laughs> you know, if, they were doing it just to please their doctor or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I like to end the podcast with just a couple questions. My first question is, walk me through your perfect day. Well, so a perfect day would be, now, are you talking about me or are you talking about people more generally? I like to hear you personally. Okay. I will, I will get up uh, somewhere between five and six. And I'll spend about an hour in prayer and meditation. And uh, oftentimes I'll pray for many of the patients that I will be seeing, especially those having a hard time, family members, people, you know, who are, who are doing research with me. So I'll do that for about an hour and then I'll start exercising. I really think physical health is important. So I'll do you know, I'll spend about 30 minutes doing uh, weightlifting and, and sit-ups, and then I'll, I'll get into my, my work. So I'll start doing the research and the writing, and I'll do that until about 5.30 in the afternoon, uh, in the evening, and then I'll, I'll swim for a half hour, and the rest of the time then will be spent with my family. That sounds like a pretty balanced life. How about that, that hour of prayer and meditation? Did you jump right into that? How did that, I mean, that length of time, how do you recommend someone get into that? Well, you know, it, it, uh, it, it gradually got up to that, you know, uh, it gradually, uh, worked up to that. You know, I, I, I had not always been doing this, of course, you know, I was in college and, and most of my younger life, I didn't do that. But, you know, as I got older and, as I saw the benefits that religion has, I, I started, you know, to to do this more, to focus more of my attention on 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 my prayer life and on reading uh, the scriptures and uh, and uh, you know up, up, apply trying to apply that then to uh, the people I'm going to interact with during the day. Uh, so that that was a gradual process. But uh, it's been very rewarding, I have to say. That's why I've kept it up. I mean, it's been pretty amazing. It's really helped my relationship with my kids and with my wife and, and with my patients and my colleagues. Really, really pretty much all of my relationships. 
and so it's been it's been it's been a lot it's been very rewarding let me just say that i i've heard this saying that when if you tell someone they need to do 15 minutes of prayer or meditation and they say i don't have time for that you say well you need to spend an hour in prayer or meditation <laughs> that's funny my my last question is how how long would you like to live what is your ideal age Oh, well, you know, when I turned 60, which was uh, about eight years ago, I started a 30-year plan that I would, you know, I would uh, try to keep my health up and have, a, a, you know, a stress, uh, limit my stress in my life and, and really focus on continuing to do the research and writing about it since, you know, I, I figure by the time I got to 60, it, it took that long before I, I had my act together. And, <laughs> And I'm still working on that act, by the way. <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, I plan on continuing to work and contribute uh, for another, you know, 25 to 30 years until I, I literally cannot see or speak or hear anymore or write. Well, that's very motivating to hear. I never heard of someone making a 30 plan like that, 30 year plan like that. Uh, well, you know, it, it, it's uh, I did it and I'm trying to stick to it, but. You know, you don't have control over those things. Well, Dr. Koenig, I really appreciate you taking your time to talk to me. I, I think that there's this pretty amazing research that you're doing right now. And maybe sometime if you get another chance to do this, I'd love to talk to you again. All right. Well, sounds great. Thanks for including me in your podcast. No, thank you. Bye.